Atmosphere, Kingspan Stadium and the fourth edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast. I'm Gareth Hanna with Jonathan Bradley. I'm going to get your name wrong some of these weeks. What were you actually starting there? Jonathan Bradley? I don't know. I don't I know. Think, I think, I think it's going to be Jonathan, Jonathan McKendry. McKendry. Yeah, okay. which is some, like, your love child, you two. I was going to say, it's just... Uh... I'll wait for the telegraph to have one of us do two jobs. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to a bit of professionalism here. I'm Gareth. I'm here with Jonathan Bradley. Hi, how's it going? And Adam McKendry. Hello. And it's atmospheric here today. Well, it was because we had a leaf blower, which was a real uh, pain for us. But it's gone now, thank goodness. And we can just hear the planes going overhead. So it's an absolute treat here in the top uh, of the main stand at Kingspan Stadium. So um, only one place to start then. Uh, Ulster are back to winning ways. A 16-8 victory over Connacht. Jonathan, a bit more like it this week. Yeah, I mean, obviously the 16-8, it felt like a very sort of narrow win. Uh, the main issue that I took away from it was the fact that it could have been a lot more comfortable if Ulster had taken their chances. That's obviously something that with this new attack and shape that we hear about, it's still a work in progress. So obviously if they were to take even just one more of those chances, it's a much more comfortable end game. Um, but yeah, I mean, lit up by the try. Uh, one of the best tries we've seen here probably since Ruyans against Glasgow last year. That was a great try, but I mean, it masks more attacking problems. And I've said for the last two weeks, Ulster, the build-up looks good, but dropping the ball has just been their problem. Those errors that keep holding them back. As you said, if they had taken one more try, it could have been a lot more comfortable. But the fact is, they only won by eight points in a game that they dominated for most of it. That's a concern for me because not taking their chances, uh, for example, against Wasps this week is going to come back to haunt them at some point. It did in Zebra, actually. So, you know, they can't keep making these mistakes and it just so happened that they got away with it this week. They did look better, but there's still a long way to go for me. I suppose without being overly negative we should say that <laughs> it's good to say this is the most negative chat about this try there's ever going to be well, no, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> no, no, can, can I defend myself the try was fantastic the interplay between Stockdale to go for it and Pietai with the little one-two passes was brilliant and that's the kind of offensive spark that Ulster need but the fact is they have that spark in other points they lead the league in clean breaks this year but they're not finishing it off when they get into the red zone into the 22 and that's been their problem all season so far, and they need to sort it out because mm-hmm. coming into these big games, that's not going to cut it. Yeah. I think there are, there are green shoots that we can see in the attacking game plan. There's obviously been a change in the way the forwards are orientated into, into the play. If you look along the line, it seems to be the forwards are kind of split 1-3-3-1 three, three, now uh, to really create those pods for physical carries, and it is taken a little while to bet in what uh, Les started last year and has obviously brought in Dwayne to look at as well. But I suppose, from my point of view, I'd be more concerned if they weren't dominating games and weren't getting into these positions because yeah. I think with the quality, especially the quality that we've seen from John Cooney, Christian Leifano, and especially last week, Jacob Stockdale, I think they are going to get that blend right and they are going to become more clinical as you say, we'd love to have started the season in that fashion, but just given the complete overhaul of that system, the new coaches and a brand new halfback pairing that didn't have a preseason together, I'd, I'd certainly be more encouraged than it sounds like you are, but 
like us, that's me, I suppose. What I'm encouraged by is the fact that defensively we looked sound, you know, even at the very end there where we were holding them out, just right down actually below where we're sitting here, um, you know, we looked like we weren't going to give it up, even though we could have let them in. They're in a different conference to us. You know, their results don't actually matter to us. So we could have just let them in and said, we're not going to take any more uh, injuries or risk getting fatigued. We kept them out and we kept it at 16-8. So if we're not maybe sparking uh, an attack, at least defensively, we looked a lot more solid. It was uh, Lili Afano making the sort of crucial turnover, if you like, in the end of that quarter. We saw John Cooney with uh, a try-saving tackle as well. So just another point, I suppose, if people are going to try and sort of take the traditional route and attack the halfbacks as well. It doesn't look like they're going to give up much defensively. And then having Stu McCluskey back in there in the midfield after the Zebra game I think makes them a lot more solid as well you can still get to them on the outside but that's sort of been a pattern that we've seen throughout all the games so far that if they're vulnerable it's out wide we saw it in the Zebra game we saw it in the Wasp pre-season game especially and Connacht as well the way that they worked because they only really had that one or two visits to the 22 but uh, you could see from the way that they attacked it with the offload from Bundyaki opened everything up and then the ball was worked out wide. Uh, Kelleher and Kuhn, it was very sort of bang, bang, bang. Maybe a fourth pass. But, uh, Jared Butler was involved. Uh, yeah, Jared Butler with the last carry. I think the Ludic stopped him. Yep. Um, it was very, I suppose, what Ulster are aspiring to in a way of just making the most of those visits into the 22. But as we saw, they didn't really have many more until that sort of last three or four minutes in the in the second half, really. Yeah, well, um, let's talk a wee bit then about uh, the partnership between Stockdale and Piatai. Stockdale's obviously the main man at the moment. Oh, by the way, you've maybe heard the leaf blower is back, so at least this proves that we're not joking. We do actually record these at Kingspan Stadium, so that, that's proof for you, unless we have a leaf blower in the office, which I can assure you we don't. He's doing the terrace now in the family stand, so we may hope that uh, that's his last port of call. <laughs> Hopefully. At least if you're coming to the match on Friday night, the stands are going to be very, very clean. Not a leaf in sight. <laughs> um, yeah, Stockdale and Piatai, after uh, that try then on Friday night, I mean, um, you put a lot of praise on, on Charles and what Charles did to play him in for it. So how big a boost has it been for Stockdale playing alongside, alongside Piatai? To play alongside an all-black as a young winger who's just breaking into the test arena, it must be such a boost to have that experience, to have that ability alongside you. They bring out the best in each other. You saw Piatai, they play very similar styles, but they can also work very well in tandem. You saw Stockdale going through that gap, and Piatai was right there on his shoulder. He knew exactly what he was going to do. I mean, Stockdale said on Friday night that the coaches were encouraging them to play more attacking rugby. That suits these two guys down to a T. They're two guys who rarely kick the ball. They're two guys who love to take it into contact. And, you know, Piatai, what he can teach Stockdale for the rest of the season, that... Jacob can take forward, take into Irish squads is vital. And even the likes of Christian Leofano, people have said he's come in, he's been really good with the young guys. What he's teaching uh, Jacob in the short time he's here will benefit him and Ulster, you know, for years to come. Obviously the try Stockdale takes the plaudits because he was the one who went over. We saw him, I think every newspaper the next day featured that uh, picture of him diving across <laughs> the line with his arm in the air, but the quality from Piatai, obviously the 
the bounce worked in his favour from the Matt Healy chip, but to read that the way he did, look up, not uh, not think about just kicking the ball back down the line, come inside, play the pass off coming the wrong way with his momentum going the other way to be able to find Stockdale in the sort of midfield area it was just real real quality for him I thought he was very very good on Friday night well moving on the end of the, the scrum uh, maybe not quite so positive as that what's what's happening well Rob Herring was up for uh, for media today and uh, God bless him he had to field seven or eight questions in a row about the scrum about <laughs> what was going on um, it'll have been frustrating or not it will have been frustrating I know for a fact that they were very frustrated by how it went in uh, Zebra and how it was ref there and then you saw early on against Connacht it seemed like both sides were sort of feeling the referee out in a way but the free kicks obviously with the the early free kicks and then the two penalties as well and it was kind of off that penalty that they were, Connacht were able to kick to the corner and really set up their try through that so it will be a concern especially when you're looking at going against Wasps. Saracens don't give up many penalties um, come scrum time, but when Wasps had their front row intact, their starting front row on Sunday against Saracens, they got the two penalties. Now, Saracens came into it more after the likes of Marty Murr and stuff went off, but and then La Rochelle down the track um, next weekend. Just an absolutely mammoth pack that they have. So, it is that's one thing that I think really does need to be sorted out quickly. You can't let sides like Wasps and Arashel get that foothold where Connacht were really wasteful whenever they got into the territory or the, the rare times that they got into the territory they were, sorry, they were very clinical but um, we didn't let them get that platform but if Wasps or La Rochelle get that platform they will make us pay and so the scrum, as you say, does need sorted out I don't know if it needs new faces or if there's an easy fix to this, but you cannot let what happened the last two weeks go into Europe. Well, I thought it was interesting the way Rob talked about it just earlier on this afternoon when he was talking about the idea of uh, making adjustments on the fly, and he thought that they didn't do that well enough against uh, Connacht. So, I mean, whether whether it's Herring or whether it's best plays in any given game, I think the leadership in that front row comes from the hooker. So... It was interesting just to get his take on it, and I think we'll uh, we have the audio here for you to listen into that. Um, yeah, look, I think that's something that, that we've tried to address this week. Um, I think the the two games, um, the last two games, has been a bit of an issue, and um, it's, it's it's something that I think is a pretty small fix. Um, I think we're pretty hard done by in a few of them, um, so I guess it's just a case of managing the referee a bit better um, in those situations, and, and the response we have. Uh, we had a free kick against us or a penalty and kind of went into our shoals of it. Um, so I think it's the way we respond to things like that and the way we react and the, the way we manage the ref. And um, look, we, we're a pretty good scrum inside. Um, we've shown that over the last few years. We've shown that the first bit of the season. So we're not going to panic. We're not going to change much. But I think it's just the way we manage it. And as always, then we're fielding some of your questions, which are still coming in thick and fast. In fact, there's so many that we actually can't discuss them all, which is a huge compliment. So thank you, but do uh, keep them coming. And if you want, the, if yours isn't read out and you do want to discuss, then just ask a better one. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one uh, comes in from Donald O'Reilly on Twitter, and he asks, well, he highlights that uh, Richard Cockrell had slammed the Pro 14 refs, and in fact, he actually uh, uh, he actually said that it was Richard Cocktail. So I'm gonna 
give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that was a wee bit of autocorrect there. Um, <laughs> but he just asked, uh, does he have a point? Uh, Richard Cock- Cockrell, first Cock-tail. of all, strikes me as a, a pint of bitter man rather than a dry martini, so <laughs> don't think autocorrect was uh, too close there. But look, um, the thing that really stuck out for me about what Richard Cockrell said <laughs> was... I like that, I really like that. <laughs> Keep it together, Gareth. Right. This is a professional podcast, OK? <laughs> to, get, to get back on track here, the uh, thing that Richard Cockrell said that really jumped out at me from his quotes, we're talking about Zebra, and it was like the referee played the game without an offside line and I think that was maybe something that a few people have thought in Zebra's last game against Ulster so it's I don't know whether it's something Zebra are doing or whether it's the referees turning a blind eye to what they're doing but um, certainly <laughs> it was an issue that it was an important issue in Zebra's last game and seems to have been uh, this week as well and obviously referees were a hot button topic at the uh, Kingsman Stadium on Friday uh, not strictly speaking a listener question, but uh, the WhatsApp that I got from my mum during the game of <laughs> what exactly is going on with uh, Peter Fitzgibbon, which I suppose is the eternal question. But uh, <laughs> in terms of Andy Brace, I actually thought it had a good game um, when the Cheetahs came here for the first game of the season. Um, difficult enough on Friday and referee, and it's, like, it's the most difficult job in rugby, quite frankly. Anyone who's ever done a done a refs course here will uh, can attest to that, but. With the Stockdale challenge with Butler early, I think that was a penalty. And then, obviously, it was the uh, Piatai incident later on that really got the ire of the crowd up, if you like. I'm not going to disagree with you there. Um, I'm going to give Andy Brace a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. I think he's fully at fault for not giving the Stockdale incident. But for the Piatai incident, he did at least ask the question of Peter Fitzgibbon. And Peter Fitzgibbon said no foul play. So, mm. I mean, the, the only thing he could have done was insisted Peter Fitzgibbon take a look. And it's very likely he would have come back with exactly the same answer because he thought there was no foul play. The problem is that, well, with Peter Fitzgibbon, that he didn't look at that. I mean... Piatai kicks through. It's Healy, isn't it? Matt Healy jumps to try and charge it down. There's nothing wrong with him jumping to charge it down, but it's the fact he turns and puts his shoulder into Piatai. Whether that's intentional or not, I'm not going to get into. But the fact is his shoulder goes into Piatai's head, and the fact he has turned puts that risk in place. So for me, it's dangerous. It should have been a penalty. Potentially a yellow card as well for dangerous play. As for Richard Cockrell, first of all, what a way to endear yourself to the new league you've just entered. (laughs) Um, Second of all, should you be leaving refs out to dry in the press conferences? Maybe not. Thirdly, I don't think he's got a point. As you say, it's very hard to be a ref. We should be very grateful to them for doing the job that they do um, because without them, you know, we wouldn't have a league, just pure and simple. Um, and they're, they're going to make mistakes. Every ref will make a mistake in their life. Even the best, like Nigel Owens and Yako Piper, will make mistakes every once in a while. You know, it's part and parcel of the game, and unfortunately you've just got to get on with that. Speaking of mistakes, just 
to go back two minutes Steve Crosby not the Steve Crosby not, not Matt Healy before we uh, oh, well, there we are yeah we'll let, we'll let Matt off the hook before, before, we, before we slander Matt um, <laughs> um, yeah well I suppose whenever Niall Owens makes a mistake he'll at least be very funny while he's doing it so that, that's a plus from his point of view but um, moving on then to was this a listener, que- listener question or was this just one of our questions for ourselves but we, we wanted to talk a little bit about the, the boo boys then at Kingspan Stadium. I'm, I'm talking quieter because I'm a bit nervous talking about <laughs> it. So I'm just sort of uh, trying to hide this, it, but we're, we're going for it. This was a listener question um, Do you know who it was from? from from the UAFC. If you give me one second, I would actually be able to look it up okay, here. Well, well, Johnny, what do you what do you think about the whole sort of for anybody who's maybe not 100 percent sure? Although I'm sure there will be. Um, what's what's happening? What do you think about it? You just come to me there while he looks this up. That's, yeah, uh, that's well, I've got it now. If you want, if you sure? want me to take over, no, I no, no, no. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because it started with Connett's try that there was the appearance, shall we say, of a forward pass and the upset there was in sort of pockets but you could hear the boost still going through the conversion from Jack Cardy and then after the PSI challenge um, we actually came back then for a Connett penalty which really didn't impress people and there was an awful lot of noise and booze that lasted for I think about three minutes mm-hmm. and uh, just the idea of I saw a few people on Twitter saying it was passion it was good to hear the stadium that loud and stuff but this is this is a personal perspective no just just no mm-hmm. um, I mean like if I go into work and it starts raining, I don't boo the bus driver. Like the two things have to be seen as separate entities. So you can't yeah. boo during a kick because you're upset about a referee indecision. And especially when it uh, lasted up until the kick and kind of died off as the kick was going over the crossbar. And fair play for knocking it over. Um, but yeah, it's it's just not something I like. You can't be booing during the uh, the kicker's approach to the tee. I know it happens elsewhere, but I don't think that should be an excuse. This is something that we don't see in Irish rugby, and I think it's good that we don't see it. So, less booing, please. <laughs> like booing during a putt at the Ryder Cup or something? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, look, I wish I could offer a differing perspective, but I'm exactly the same. I get the crowd's frustrations, but respect the kicker and respect the game, please. Yeah. Well, if the kicker feels anything about the boo boys that like we feel about the... Uh, leaf blower right now then <laughs> they have every sympathy of me we have our very own boo boy here today so doesn't take much noise to throw us off our strides so, uh, <laughs> no, much not much at all <laughs> we never really get into our stride anyway <laughs> do we um, Wasps then Friday night a uh, big game and everybody's maybe looking at this and saying wow what a tough game for Ulster this is going to be a real uphill battle but Wasps aren't exactly in form are they well, they're not. They've lost, uh, they've lost four games in a row now after falling to Saracens and a massive, massive injury list. Um, they've reduced their squad size a little bit to fit into the salary cap, so I think they're down to 40 players from 45, 15 of which were unavailable for that game on Saturday. And you look at some of the names, Joe Launchbury, who we fully suspect is going to play on Saturday, mainly rested, Nathan Hughes, Jimmy Gopperth, Danny Cipriani, Kyle Eastwind. Tommy Taylor, Paul Doran Jones, these are players that would be playing on Friday night if they were fit. So they're missing an awful lot of key talent that's really been central to what they've done the last uh, the last couple of years when they've been very impressive. Uh, this is a new territory for them, shall we say. It's been 
three years, four years since I lost uh, four games in a row. So it'll be interesting to see really the sort of mood in the camp when they come over, I think. It's going to be a really key one for Ulster, just as sort of a litmus test of where they are. Um, I mean, their start to the Pro 14 has been good, um, if not completely convincing all the time, but five wins from six, you can't complain with that. But Wasps are going to bring something different. This is the first time they're going to put out their full team, um, if you want to call it that. Obviously, minus all those big-name players because of injury, but this is going to be the first time that they'll have put everyone together into their team that they want to, and that's going to be a big challenge for Ulster because Wasps have a big pack. As we've mentioned already, they have real skills out wide with Christian Wade, Willie LaRue. They've got Marcus Watson, who's really pacey to come off the bench, um, and he's someone who's really impressed me. They'll try and target Ulster out wide, as other teams have been doing, try and use those guys to their advantage. Look, they haven't started the season well, and we were talking to Marty Murr earlier, and you know he was sort of saying, we're just going to take this, we're not too down, we're going to take this as a clean slate, we're going to come into Europe with a renewed focus, and we're going to hit them from the off, and Ulster have to be on their guard, because this is going to be the toughest test of their season so far. Yeah, I mean, I think they've kind of been hit by the sort of Premiership finalists, uh, beaten Premiership finalists curse. We've seen it with Bath, we've seen it with Exeter the last uh, two years, where they've beaten finalists from, that, uh, from the end of May. kind of carries that hangover into the start of the season. Obviously, Exeter righted the ship last time around, but for me, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do at 10, because Cipriani's out. Uh, Jimmy Gobbert, somebody that we know from his time at Leinster, didn't play last week, so they had Miller or fullback switching to 10. So if they can get Galbraith back, I think that's going to be big. Although you were saying there's maybe talk that he'll play at 12 if he comes back. Yeah, they've had Brendan Mackin at 12 the last couple of weeks, and as much as he's looked all right, Miller ran the game not too badly against Saracens last week, and there have been a lot of people saying that they should put Galbraith back to 12, which is where he usually plays when Cipriani is fit, um, and then keep Miller at 10. Personally, I think he would be better at 10. But for me, as much as Gopperth will improve their backs, the big problem is in the forwards because we've mentioned they have a very good scrum. Their mall last week, the mall was a really strange one for Wasps because on their mall they looked really dangerous and they got a Marty Murr uh, got a try off it. But their mall defence also looked really, really shaky. And Ulster's Mall hasn't been fantastic this year. It's been effective, but it hasn't really reaped the rewards that they would have hoped. So this could be the week that Ulster really put a lot of focus into their mall and try and use the Saracens blueprint to try and beat Wasps for two weeks running. What Saracens did really, really well, as they always do really, really well, was they drew players into the contact area which we've seen a lot less under these new rules so they drew the players into the contact area and just attacked the space that that created with their running lines it's not something that we've seen from Ulster yet this season so it would be interesting to see if they sort of attack that in the same way um, on Friday night and coming from coaching in England uh, Ulster's assistant coach Dwayne Pale knows it was perhaps better than most so here's what he had to say about Friday night's game you know, speaking from Wasps' side, they obviously got a start. You know, a start-studded squad, uh, start-studded squad. You know, obviously they got a few injuries at the minute. Um, you know, Cipriani's out and all that. But you know, they've had a few guys back last week uh, from injury, and 
and I'm sure they'll be very strong coming here. Um, I watched their game games the last couple of weeks, and, and as I said, they had a few guys back from injury on uh, on the bench and who played um, for them in Saracens on Sunday. So um, you know they'll be uh, they'll be pretty fully loaded coming here. So it's good for us, and it's a good good challenge to see. Um, you know, to see see where we're at, I suppose. And now we've, we've only dealt with a couple of listener questions, so we have some more. We haven't forgot about them, and we're going to try and rattle through a few more now. So, Adam, you've had a few off the, the forums there. Yeah, Bart S. was very helpful with some of his questions. So the first one that caught my eye was, when is Skalk van der Merva back? And this is one that I've been concerned with for a while because uh, <laughs> I've, I've simply wanted to know when he's back. Uh, but in today's press conference, Dwayne said he's back in rugby training. And so he should be back in a couple of weeks. So we'll wait and see on those. Uh, one of the other ones that Bart sent in was, is Henderson a second or a back row? And I'm going to throw this one over to Johnny because he looks like he's got an answer prepared. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know, but sure, I'll take it anyway. Um, I was actually talking to a friend of mine at, uh, over the weekend when I was down in Malone about this. And whether, well, his opinion was, that would it be worth putting Henderson at eight, obviously where he played his schoolboy rugby where you get that sort of explosiveness off the base which we haven't really seen from uh, Sean Thaiser when he's been playing yet look we all know that there's going to be a certain amount of influence over where Henderson plays that's not going to come from here it's going to come from slightly further down the M1 so it'll be interesting to see with the emergence of other players like Treadwell Delan and coming through in that the Ireland second row stocks look a bit healthier obviously not compared to the back row but with Katsia out, having that sort of dynamism in the back row is going to be important for Ulster. And I think it's an interesting one to think about whether they could deploy him off the base of the scrum rather than we've seen him at six, maybe have Diesel at six. don't know. For me, I don't like him in the second row simply because I don't think he has the same impact, which is why I'm going to say I want him in the back row as well. For me, I would love to see him at six. But then that obviously puts Jean at eight. And as you say, he hasn't had that dynamism from it yet. So it is a difficult one to see where he could fit in. I mean, this is one we'll leave for the coaches. But for me, Henderson is much more effective when you deploy him from the back row. Uh, That's not to say he's not effective when he's in the second row. But I think he's better off being in the back row at number six. Well, it's just the issue of how much he can have in his legs after scrummaging. Mm. I mean... It takes more out of him to be in the second row. There's no debate about that. We know in the past, when he first came through and first started switching between the two, he expressed a preference for playing in the back row. That's changed somewhat slightly, maybe more pragmatic <laughs> these days of saying he'll play wherever he's put. <laughs> but uh, obviously this is all coming around from the issues surrounding Marcel Katsia. And he had an hour just really, really, I mean, you feel for that guy. You really do. But... Um, Having to go back to South Africa, have the surgeon that can, or did his original ACL reconstruction have a look at things. But obviously, it does not sound particularly good. It doesn't sound like we're going to see him for a very long time. So that will also influence possibly next season and how we look at, well, first of all, I suppose a medical joker, if that's going to be a possibility, or how else to go about recruiting back row next season. And this was a question that I had uh, in the Twitter DMs from... Dark side, light side. Um, just talking about whether he thinks we're going to see Ulster target an Irish qualified back rower possibly next season as well to give a bit of depth. Um, personally, Reese Ruddock's out of contract. Um, he's somebody that I think that should really, really be looking at. 
what we've seen before. There's a certain degree of reticence from Leinster, especially with them being so well supplied in the back row. There's still that sort of hesitation for boys to come up north. We saw, I mean, Jack Conan was somebody that they went hard after, and by all accounts was fairly impressed with the... Uh, what was put to him about coming to Ulster, but there's obviously that huge attachment to your home province, and then boys can almost look at uh, Conan now as somebody who stuck it out when it didn't look like he was going to get minutes, and is now a hugely important part of their team. So it would be, for me, the key will be to see if Reece Ruddock's any different, if they do go after him, um, or whether he can be tempted to come up north. He'd be the main one that I'd be targeting from an Irish perspective. Perfect. Um, that'll do us for listener questions because we're, time is ever ticking on and um, into our, our popular club section then. And um, good news for us. We're three from three now in our games of the week. We call this one right again. Uh, Bambridge with a 23-17 win at Ballymena on Friday night. Ian Porter, the main man in this one. And um, Bambridge still just a, a couple of points off the top of the table in 1B. It's been absolutely brilliant start of the season and a great result for them on Friday night. Yeah, Ian Porter's a real quality player still at that level. Like it's Just having that experience he's had both here and uh, being at Connacht, as you say, we uh, we predicted that it was going to be a Bambridge win. But then you saw the Ballymena team. I don't know if that changed anyone's opinion, but just the Ulster involvement that they had, obviously Brett Heron, Clive Ross, Adam McBurney, Shanahan, Callum Patterson, um, Russ Kane came off the bench mm-hmm. um, making his return. And compared to what we had at Banbridge, who are actually missing a healthy dose of their Ulster mm-hmm. contingent with Caleb Montgomery out, James Hume, who we saw at Ince last year, he's out, Greg Jones is out. But, uh, and they were trailing, trailing 10-7 at half-time, and again uh, 17-13 in the... In the second half, just that little bit of quality from Ian Porter to see Lewin and going great guns now. Yeah. I don't know, I'm just glad every time Bambridge win because it means the video of them singing in the changing rooms afterwards <laughs> pops up on my Facebook. Have you seen that? It also means you can show off your Bambridge knowledge and try and impress <laughs> yeah. everyone. Yeah, that too. Yeah, it's all I have. Um, so, yeah, Adam's going to give us a, a quick roundup then of the rest of last weekend's uh, All Ireland action. Yeah, in Division 1B, as we said, under the Friday Night Lights, Banbridge won the Ulster Derby at Eaton Park, defeating Ballymena 23-17, while Balna Hinch made it three wins from four by defeating UL Bohemian 34-17. In Division 2A, Malone had the result of the weekend with a stunning 70 points to 15 win over Galwegians at home. City of Armagh lost for the first time this season 28-20 away to Blackrock College, and Queen's lost at home to Cashel 25-14. In Division 2B, Rainey had a brilliant victory over Barn Hall, 42-10 at Hattrick Park. Dungannon were held to a 15-all draw away to Navan, while Belfast Harlequins and City of Derry's woes continued with losses away to Scaries and Sunday's Well, respectively. And in Division 2C, Omo were fairly brought back down to earth with a thud. They lost 52-15 to Sligo, but Bangor got a win with a 36-14 triumph over Toman. So if we turn to the tables... In Division 1B, Ballinahinch and Bambridge are joint second with 16 points. That's two points behind league leader Shannon. Ballymena are eighth with six points. Division 2A, Malone's massive win keeps them unbeaten and lifts them top on 18 points. City of Armagh dropped to third with 13 points. Queen's University are in sixth on 10 points. In Division 2B, Rainey sit fourth with 14 points. Dungannon are seventh with eight points, while City of Derry and Belfast Harlequins prop up the table with five points and no points, respectively. And then in Division 2C, Bangor's win takes them second on 14 points. They're two behind Sligo at the top, while Oma dropped to fourth on 12 points.
I'd just like to apologise at this point for calling Jonathan Johnny for the first few weeks because um, I knew that angered his, his mum a little bit. So I apologise for that. And as you've already heard, I have been calling Jonathan this week. So after that game on Friday night then when Ballymena were beaten by Bambridge, Jonathan caught up with Alan McBurney who discussed how nice it is for a player to come up through the club rugby uh, set-up to represent Ulster and what went wrong for his side on Friday night. Yeah, look, uh, I think... On a performance note, we actually performed really well in some of the aspects of the game. The first uh, couple of games didn't really perform that well and we just slipped on the wrong side of a couple of defeats. But uh, it's going in the right way, I think, with the performance and hopefully next games the way we play will hopefully get in the right side of them results instead of the wrong. And how about the season for yourself? In general, look, uh, I just hope to be playing as much rugby as possible. Last year was a bit of a, an injury strike year, so... Uh, as long as I'm playing rugby, I'm happy at the moment, and I think the BNI Cup this year with A's will be a good opportunity for me to put my right foot forward and hopefully get a call up at some stage if uh, if the coaches yeah. if the coaches uh, like what I'm doing. What do you think about the All Ireland League as a proving ground? Because we seem to see it more with front rowers than anywhere else, obviously because he's coming to maybe the senior panel a bit later, so you do get this exposure. To that level of rugby, how do you think it is, especially especially up in the front row? Yeah, I definitely think all Iron League's a, a great standard of rugby to be playing in, especially just coming out of school as a front rower. You, you really do get challenged, and uh, it's a really competitive league. So uh, I've really enjoyed my time in the all Iron League and uh, continue well and enjoy it. So uh, I just sort of think it's a good platform for people to put show what they can do and then hopefully be picked up by the, the senior ranks uh, from your province or whoever it may be. And I was reading about uh, Gary Longwell at the Randallstown and how proud everyone at the club was after two weeks ago. Yeah. How good is it for you as somebody who's come through that pathway rather than the more traditional ones to be now a part of the senior squad? And Look, I think playing club rugby was with Randallstown was massive in my career. Uh, although I had to leave I, uh, whenever I turned 18, the whole club has always uh, stuck by me no matter what has happened and no matter where I've went. So Randallstown, I can praise him more and Gary too at the club and other coaches have always backed me and always uh, gave me the, the right influence that I needed to make it to where I am at the moment and hopefully we'll keep going. So uh, yeah, look, Gary and all of Randallstown has been brilliant and I can't praise him anymore. And I think it's something that we're seeing more and more of now, you know, uh, with the academy looking at sort of less traditional yeah, definitely. the squad. I think that's a really good thing to see. Yeah, I think like in previous years, maybe four or five years ago, there wasn't many at all that came through. There was obviously just your big school players that were coming mm-hmm. through. But now, if you look in the academy, there's maybe five or six boys that has took that, that yeah. approach and came through the clubs. And I think that's a credit to what all other clubs are actually doing with their, their club players and how much club players are buying into it now. And now that they've got that bit of extra support, like you do have a lot of talent there and it's good seeing it coming through into the academy and further ranks. No All-Ireland action then this weekend for a couple of, a couple of weekends now, isn't it? But um, attention turns to the Senior Cup this week. So have we, have we got a game of the week? Yeah, for me it's uh, Banger against Balna Hinch in, uh, in the Senior Cup. Um, Balna Hinch going great guns. The last couple of weeks, as you said earlier, Adam, uh, beat UL Bohemian and he uh, had James Hart at uh, Scarmalaf, I believe. He's definitely the only person in the all Ireland League who can claim to have once been Dan Carter's uh, halfback partner. <laughs> so Balna Hinch did well to, uh, to win again and... <laughs> back-to-back-to-back winners, so the key point here is, is anyone going to stop them again this year? That's the big question. Balna Hinch's grasp on the Senior Cup has been very impressive. 
it looks like they're going to be one of the big players again this year. You've got the likes of Armagh who are doing really well uh, to go along with that. So it's going to be a very interesting Senior Cup this year, one that you'll really have to keep a, keep an eye on. Of course, we'll keep you updated on the podcast uh, each week. Yeah, Bangor had a good win as well at the mm-hmm. weekend, so carrying yeah. a wee bit of form into this one too, and obviously home advantage. So that really, for me, is it's definitely the tie of the week, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But for for the purposes of boosting about our record next week, we are predicting a Bangor's win, aren't we? Um, it'll be interesting to see what team they have out now. Obviously, with the Ulster A game being it as well, how much that robs them of a good chunk of players and also a fair bit of continuity. As we record this, we don't have the uh, the Ulster A team mm-hmm. yet, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think we'll say we'll, we'll stick with Bangor. Yeah, we'll we'll go with Bangor. All agreed. All agreed. Okay. Apologies, Bangor, but um, <laughs> you can well if the, well if the, I was going to say you can stick that up on the. Uh, dressing room door, but I don't know quite how you stick a <laughs> podcast on a dressing room door. But look, if you figure it out, you can send us a picture. Um, so just to finish this week, then any other business? What has um, caught our eye in the, the rugby world? Sticking with the club rugby scene, Peter Cooper, um, who's one of the academy props, got a hat trick for Malone in their massive one at the weekend. Hat tricks for props are like, uh, well, I don't even know how to compare it because they're so rare <laughs> that there's nothing else you can really compare it to um, but yeah good, big congratulations to him I mean that's a fantastic achievement for him So, his third score was outrageous as well running in from distance stepping the fullback I can <laughs> only imagine the abuse that 15 that poor 15 got for being stepped by a prop in the open field like that but uh, yeah I got us thinking about our favourite uh, favourite forwards try and I was going through this this morning thinking about different ones that we could have and uh, obviously Brian Robinson 91 World Cup I was three for that, so don't really remember it. <laughs> and then I realised that you boys probably weren't born for that, which was wholly depressing. Um, Keith Wood in the World Cup as well against, uh, against USA. But uh, I'm going to go for Anthony Foley at the uh, opening of uh, the New Thoman Park where uh, Keith Wood tells a brilliant story about how there were free pizzas on offer from Domino's for whoever scored the... Uh, for the first try there and as uh, Keith Wood brilliantly put it Anthony just to make sure start, stayed in the wing all night and got a hat trick instead <laughs> before, before my time mate but that's on yeah but uh, just a good story to tell and just with the week that's in it coming up to the uh, the sad passing of Anthony Foley and obviously he's still still hugely missed by everyone in, in our Ireland rugby and especially Munster Yep, most certainly. And then, um, of course, we should mention that this weekend, Ruan Pinar is back in Ireland as Montpellier will come to visit Leinster. So, are we all Montpellier fans then for, for the weekend? I feel like you're looking at me because I'm genuinely <laughs> wearing a Montpellier top right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which is actually ironic because one of the questions on the fans forum was, can we briefly describe what we're all wearing? So, uh, <laughs> oh, dear, so that's you, a bit creepy. You've <laughs> actually answered that one. I was going to go nowhere as, near it. Uh, as we've already said, my mum listens to this, so <laughs> quickly diverge away from that topic. Um, yeah, it's, obviously it's going to be exciting to see uh, Ruan back on our soil. I'm sure there'll be a few people enjoying the uh, possibility of PNR showing a little something in... Uh, in D4, people, I don't know whether the boys that had the banner over there, the first uh, the first game after the announcement that he was leaving, they keep D4 out of Ulster, boys are going to make an appearance <laughs> down there. Um, but yeah, the thing as well is, massively tough game for Leinster too, I mean, 
I'm actually I'm going down to the RDS on on Saturday, and I'm really excited to see this Montpellier team. So we're going great guns in the in the top fourteen there, um, up until losing at the weekend, and just Ronan O'Gar was was uh, talking about uh, in the Sunday Times this week of just how monstrous that side is, and we've seen the fact that they've obviously gone out got not just PNR but Pickamoles and Cruden as well as that eight nine ten and. They're going to be they're going to be one of the favourites for this competition. Maybe just below that top tier of size that we've seen dominated for the last few years. Um, Saracens, uh, Toulon, Claremont are all going to be there thereabouts again. But Montpellier could surprise a few people uh, given the squad that they've put together for Vern Cotter this year. I'm just thinking to myself, for MP only everyone wants in Dublin with Ulster, well sorry once at the RDS for Ulster uh, and the ironic thing is this is probably his best chance to get another win so <laughs> we, we all hope he goes well probably his best chance to win uh, win some silver now as well <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, more than likely Ronan O'Gar had him tipped for a double I think so. <laughs> well there you go Time will tell, and um, as Jonathan has totally ruined our impartiality um, again this week with his <laughs> Montpellier top. So, from me, Gareth Hanna, and from Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. And Adam McAndrew. And from the leaf blower. Yeah, I was going to say we had beat the leaf blower, but then he just came back on. So, maybe we'll beat him next week, and hopefully we can beat the Boo Boys too. <laughs>